Thank you for joining us for this chapel message from the campus of Columbia International University in Columbia, South Carolina. Our mission at CIU is to educate people from a biblical worldview to impact the nations with the message of Christ. Welcome back um, for our Authority Scripture Week and for our prayer day. Um, as was noted on the schedule, we have a discussion panel, and so I'm grateful to uh, my colleagues for joining um, up here, and uh, we're going to continue the theme of the authority of Christ, and uh, before I kind of introduce what we're going to be doing, let me go ahead and pray for us. Father, we thank you for time together today um, to be able to reflect personally and corporately on the work of your Son and the continuing work uh, that is taking place in this world. And uh, Father, we thank you for the great privilege that it is to be part of that, um, whether we're thinking about opportunities um, right here, right now, um, whether we're thinking about opportunities during the summer and uh, serving overseas and in the U.S. and camp ministry and um, professional internships and things that way, or as we look further down the road and what you, um, what you have before uh, the lives of all that are here. And uh, Father, we just thank you for the privilege that it is to, to um, live that in relationship with you. Um, Father, we do continue to pray uh, for the situation overseas. Father, we lift up um, uh, the Ukrainian people, the Russian people. Um, Father, I know that there are, are many that are desirous of peace. And uh, Father, we just continue to, to bathe that situation and give wisdom to the leaders that are involved even during these hours now in um, addressing this conflict. And uh, Father, we do continue to pray for our brothers and sisters in Christ over there. And uh, just pray that your, um, your witness will go forward. Um, and Father, we thank you for this time now. I thank you for the privilege it is um, to be able to work with this student body, as well as with these colleagues and, um, and others that are here on faculty and staff at CIU. And uh, we just pray that you would be honored in our time together to, uh, this afternoon. And we just thank you, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so for our, our session this afternoon, we are continuing this theme of the authority of Christ. Um, and on Tuesday's session, um, we spent some time looking at the authority of Christ in the birth of the church. Um, yesterday, uh, Dr. Dunn led us through um, the authority of Christ in the history of the church. And then at our 11 o'clock session today, um, Dr. Smither with the authority of Christ in the mission of the church. And so our hope in this last session with the discussion panel is to spend a little bit of time thinking about what does this look like in practice um, as we think about living out the authority of Christ in our lives. And so um, we're going to share a little bit about, and if you look at, up here at the stage, um, you can tell a variety of different disciplines are reflected um, here. And so hopefully it's going to be an opportunity for some of you. Um, it may be your faculty advisor, faculty mentor that is up here on the stage um, representing um, that particular field of, of work. Um, and uh, if not, um, I hope you can hear the kind of um, concern of what this looks like in practice in these different disciplines. And I hope that encourages you as you begin to think more and more, what is my life going to look like as I graduate from here and head out um, to follow after Christ? Um, what does that look like for me in my field? And so um, I've got a few questions here that, that prepared, which they're aware of, um, and then we'll kind of uh, jump around a little bit if there's some other, you know, uh, other things that we want to kind of explore that way. Um, but just to get started, since I know that not every student has class with all of us, um, I'm going to just ask them just a, a brief introduction um, to them, what they teach here at CIU, what, what um, kind of field they're working in, um, and then to, to share for um, each of them personally how did they come to recognize the authority of Christ in their own life? And so just a little bit of their testimony. So um, I don't know who would like to go first, but um, I'll just throw it over to you guys. Am I on? Hi, I'm James Whitaker. Um, I've been here about 
10 years here at CIU. Uh, I am the director of the sport management major. Uh, I've served as the athletic director here. I was also the first soccer coach. So sports is kind of my area that I'm going to be talking about today. And um, so I became a believer at a very young age. I was fortunate enough to grow up in a Christian home. And so my parents uh, always had us in church. I was a drug baby. It's a joke. Uh, my parents drug me to church every time there was a <laughs> opportunity. Um, Sunday night, Sunday evening, Wednesday night, visitation, you name it, we were there. And I'm thankful for that. Um, and I learned about, uh, about Jesus. I learned uh, what it means to be a Christian at a very young age. I would say at age 11 is when I trusted Christ as my Savior. And uh, even into my, probably in my college years when I really made it my own, really really learned what it meant to really follow Jesus and submit myself to the authority of Scripture. So, cool. so I'm Dr. Paula Whitaker. I teach psychology here on campus. I'm also a licensed clinical psychologist. And the other piece of my career is that I was a youth and children's pastor for 30 years as well as a church music director. So um, we are not married. Most of you know that. Um, we're, we are married, but to other people. Um, <laughs> And neither are we brother and sister nor cousins that we know of, but we're, we're trying to figure it out because everyone gets a little confused about it. I think we met it the first time getting our, getting our COVID shots. Getting our COVID <laughs> yes, we did. And we got a lot of questions there too. Um, so I also came to know Jesus at a pretty young age, was eighth grade. And I'm not going to give you my whole testimony there because that would take a while, but I am a, I was a natural born perfectionist. So by eighth grade, I was really, really concerned that there was no way the scales were going to tip for me. I was going to try to, to do my best and please God. And hopefully when I got to the end of my life, it would, mm, you know, eek my direction and I would make it into heaven. Um, and thankfully somebody freed me from all that by sharing the real gospel that all I needed to do um, was to accept Jesus' free gift of eternal life and the indwelling of the Holy Spirit and that he would guide me and lead me and sanctify me and take me home to heaven one day. So when I found that out in eighth grade, I was really excited about it. I mean, I loved, loved, loved Jesus, but I don't know that I ever would have understood the authority of scripture if it weren't for one guy in his 80s wearing suspenders, looking like every old man you've ever seen at church. So I was baptized in a church um, that had a baptistry up front and you know they, they had a special evening baptism service. At the end of the service, this gentleman in his suspenders, and he couldn't move very fast anymore, but he booked it to intercept me on my way out the door. He handed me a um, paperback New Testament. My parents didn't go to this church, so I was there by myself. He handed me a paperback New Testament and said, you need to read this whole thing start to finish. I took the book. I was like, all right, that's what I need to do. I don't know why I didn't question that. I, you know, by the grace of God, I sat down and I read that New Testament from start to finish in, you know, just a couple months. And then I started on the Old Testament. And this was before I ran into some amazing people who really discipled me in high school and college. But on my own, there were a couple of verses that I ran into. And, and one of the most moving was John 14, 14, if you love me, keep my commandments. And so the essence that I took away from scripture 
was that because of what Jesus did for me and because of my love for him, then his word had authority in my life. And of course, there's other great scriptures that talk about that, but I think the one that sums it up the most for me is 2 Corinthians 5, 14 through 15. And it says, for Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all and therefore all died. And he died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. So thanks to my guy whose name I'm not going to know till I get to heaven. Um, God just gave it to me on a platter that my opinion was second to God's. And in my whole life, whenever I've remembered that and yielded to him, things have worked out much better than when I've insisted, you know, on having my own way. Well, I'm uh, Dr. Michelle Raven. I teach in intercultural studies, um, community development, disaster relief in, in those areas. Um, I'm making a lot of noise, sorry. <laughs> you're just fine. Um, so it, the authority of Christ in, in my life, I, I grew up in Louisiana, a small town, um, just similar to, to, uh, to what others have said. I was in church all the time, but I, I remember um, when I was seven years old, we would, at that time we were having an evening church. Um, we were doing Sunday school, we were doing all of those other things. And for me in my mind at, at, that, at that age, I had to do things right. Um, I, I had the good girl syndrome and um, still battle with that sometime. Um, but um, in my mind, it was like, I have to make sure that I do everything that, that, um, that God wants me to do. And um, I remember that evening, Pastor McLean, who was our pastor, uh, preached a sermon. And he said, there's nothing that you can do. There's no, there's no way that you can be good enough. And so, so at that point, I gave my life to, to Christ. Um, and then we had several months of, of discipleship where I learned the word. And um, I learned the, the, um, the authority of Christ in my life that no matter um, what I did, I could never match up. I could never make it or do good enough. But with him, um, by his authority, by, by his love, by his power, I can be enough because he's enough. And so uh, I gave my life to Christ at, at age seven. And throughout my life, um, I've gone back to that thought of when I realized that I can't be that good girl, that I can't get it all right, that in him, I'm enough because he's enough. Yes, I'm uh, Dr. Dunn. I grew up in Northern Ireland, uh, so not from around here. Um, and I grew up in a Christian home. My dad was a pastor when I was a young, younger kid, and I resented that. Um, I didn't like the fact that I had to you know, behave and be good, particularly in church, when it was, in my experience, very boring uh, as a 10, 11-year-old. Um, so I was very much a Sunday Christian, Monday through Saturday. I was a little Satan. Um, but Sunday, I was a little holy boy, and I, got, I kind of convinced other people that I was good. And then when, I, when they got my school report, my parents were convinced they were, the teacher had got me mixed up with someone else. Um, she hadn't. Um, but so I, but I, around the age of 15, 16, we moved house, and I went to a different school. And the high school I went to had a really strong Christian ethos in it, and I developed a friend with a friendship with this really, really nerdish, bookish Christian who was, and still is, one of my closest friends. And about three months into my time as a, would be a sixth former, so kind of like your SAT kind of age, um, he took me aside and said, you need to stop calling yourself a Christian because you're not. Um, and that was a gut punch. First of all, 
you, don't, you barely know me, and second of all, you're a nerd. Like, you don't talk to me so aggressively <laughs> like that. Um, but it really impacted me, and I began to think about it. And I said, you know what, actually, I know the answers in my head, but my, I, I am living like the devil, and I'm loving, loving living like the devil. Um, so I stopped calling myself for a Christian, but I was, he really made me question. And uh, over the next few months, around, it was around November of that year, uh, I began to, you know, to pray to the Lord and say, okay, I know you're real, I know you're good, and I know I'm not good. And so if, if, you, if you don't save me, I understand, but I'm still going to tell people that you're real and that you're good. So I kind of came at it the other way around. I trusted Scripture, but I didn't trust God. Um, and so I accepted Scripture, but I didn't, I, I, I hadn't fully accepted what it meant to be a Christian. But I do believe in that car journey, as I was kind of arguing with God in the car, I, I'm convinced that was the night I was converted. Um, and over the next year or so, I had to really deal with some demons in my life. I was a liar. I was arrogant. I was struggled with lust and pornography. Um, so 16, 17 was the year the Lord really had to do a lot of smackdowns in my life. Uh, he's still doing them, but that was the year that I first had to experience the pain and the joy of, of, of freedom. Um, I then went to, to college and studied history. I'm a military historian by heart. That's my passion. Um, but there I was encouraged to consider pastoral ministry. Uh, so I went across to London, did my master's in church history. So kind of moving away from the, the, the swords and the knights to different type of sword, I guess you could say. It can be very cheesy and christian easy. Um, <laughs> And then I went to a preaching college and became a pastor for three years and loved that. Did my MDiv in Southern over here. That's why I came to the States. Uh, and then worked for a church for three years. Um, loved preaching, loved teaching the word, loved theology. But there's something beautiful about being able to synthesize theology with history and seeing the context of it all and seeing the, the, the way in which the historical authors of Scripture are used by the Holy Spirit, inspired by the Holy Spirit, to write inerrant true words still were real human beings who lived in a real culture with real people with real problems and real flaws, just like we do, just like I do. So I found that really, really convincing. And, and as, as I was getting, uh, as we got engaged, I was getting married and I was working 70 hours for the church and finishing my PhD, my wife and I decided that's probably not a good recipe uh, for a first year of marriage. And so we decided that I would pursue academics and kind of focus on teaching theology at a different in a different format, uh, and history in a different format as well. And so that brought me to CIU. Hey, everyone. Uh, I'm Joe Kraft, and uh, yeah, thank you so much. I might have promised them extra credit to come today. So this is all our attendance today is our college of education. So appreciate you guys coming. Uh, yeah, college education, second year here. Um, my specialties are in elementary education. And uh, so a lot of my kiddos here, I say kiddos, sorry, it's teaching, that's what it is, uh, is Foundations of Education, uh, which is really the core, really, of what we do within education, uh, not just focusing on kind of our disciplines of what we do, because we each get to teach in our own special ways, uh, but really where the authority of Scripture comes in is where we really get to speak on this within this class. So excited to be teaching here. Uh, I am as well a PK which I was going to say is I was really bad, but you seem to take the ticket on the really bad PK. So I really wasn't that bad. I uh, climbed underneath the seats. That was about the extent of my devil, devil making there. Uh, but grew up within the church, I guess, really is the definition of that. And so I was always surrounded by people teaching and preaching into my life. Uh, which led to, at age nine, I accepted Christ. Uh, I accepted Christ in a Dairy Queen parking lot uh, because what doesn't go good with ice cream, especially the gospel. 
Um, but a really special kind of moment in that. Uh, I don't think Dan Coy's with us this afternoon, but he knows of the place, Circleville, Ohio. Uh, and every time I get to go back to Ohio, visit some grandparents, uh, always make a trip back to that Dairy Queen. And I uh, can relive that exact spot where we were parked within our little green geo car uh, on a rainy night and just the Holy Spirit just tugging on my heart. Um, parents getting out of the car and I was like, I just, I can't even move because something has a hold of me and I know that there's some decision that needs to be made. Uh, but like I think the story for most of us, it you know didn't really translate into an older age. When I went to college at Ohio University uh, in Athens, Ohio, um, I got involved in Campus Crusade for Christ. Uh, before I graduated, I was scheduled and almost paid to go to Italy for three months for a mission trip. And so I kind of call it my Abraham moment, where it was like, am I willing to go? Am I willing to do what you want me to do? Uh, and then the Lord led me to a job fair where I accepted a position to teach in Florida. And so I taught second, fourth, and fifth grade there uh, and got to minister within public school and then also within Christian school as well. Uh, and so it really wasn't in, in the, until those moments of college and then throughout my profession. And I love the opportunity that I've had to get to teach, but also preach within public school, because that is a place where you really learn to trust in the authority of Scripture and to learn within the faithfulness that God has for us uh, within teaching and the different experiences that we have in that. And so I've been thankful for that and how God is continuing to kind of mature my faith uh, through ministry. We've had opportunity to preach within Florida. I uh, did my PhD here at CIU, graduated in 17, and then now get to come back and be here and to teach, which is special. Well, thank you for sharing that. It's neat to hear the, the stories of God's work in your lives. And, and it's cool. I think, you know, if you're not in the habit of doing this, ask each other. Ask your professors, ask staff around here. Tell, tell me the stories of God's faithfulness in your life and how you know, how he's been at work. And it's, it's neat hearing the stories, even just as little snippets. I may have some follow-up questions to kind of hear a little bit more, but I'll, I'll refrain for the moment now. So it's, it's cool to see how that, how that takes shape. Now, obviously, all of us up here are faculty. Um, we are in an educational field and equipping students and, and teaching, but very different disciplines. Um, and, um, and hearing like kind of little bits and pieces of some of the kinds of things that, that each of you have done, um, it's clear that you've had opportunities working actually in, the, in those different fields, and as you are an educator now, um, you've done it. You've, you've coached, you've counseled, you've um, you know, taught in different kinds of schools con contexts, you've done mission work, that kind of thing where you've had those kinds of experiences. So for you, as you think about your faith in Christ, and then as you think about your discipline that you're working in, how has your faith shaped the way that you approach that discipline? So, and we, don't, we can go into whichever order you want to, so, yeah. I'll jump in. Um, so, from the earliest age, from probably the time I was 10 or 11, I knew I wanted to be a coach. And I, I knew that I wanted to impact others through coaching. I can remember to this day. Um, that's all I ever wanted to do. And so, I've had a whole life, I'm 46 now, of trying to wrestle with how does, um, how does the connection of my faith work with, uh, with, with sports? Obviously something that's secular in and of itself. And uh, on, on one hand, I've got my love for God and my faith, and then my love for sport on the other. And so how do I reconcile these two things? How do they, how do they work together? And I think the tendency for many Christians 
is to kind of separate those two things. We kind of separate what we do on Sunday with what we do the rest of the week and how we act and how we compete and those kinds of things in talking about sports. But um, I think while that's the tendency, that, that can't be the way that we approach things, right? So we've got to compete for Christ. We've got to uh, do what he says in his word, regardless of whether it's in sports or what we're doing on Sunday. And so I think often this idea is counterculture to what we see in our society. When we, uh, all of us are involved in sports, if you've been involved with sports, you probably have wrestled with this. How do we connect the two? It's even countercultural to our Christian culture in many respects. Uh, we, we see Christians who separate what they do during the week from what they do on Sunday, how they act in sports. Uh, if you've ever been involved in a church league, you've ever gone and been involved in church league sports, um, some of you are shaking your head. You understand what I'm talking about. People act like crazy, like, you know, guys that are elders and deacons and leaders in their church, but you get them on a basketball court or on a softball field, and they act like somebody completely different, and that just can't be the case. And so, um, or if you've had maybe parents that you've been around, your parents or other parents are yelling at officials and yelling at you or yelling at the coaches, right? You understand what I'm talking about. But it's a beautiful thing when you see someone who understands what I'm talking about, uh, how their fake faith impacts their sport. They engage in sports and they compete in, a, in the right way. Um, they view their ability that God's given them as a gift. And, and an expression of that gift is really worship to God. Um, I know an amazing example of this. I don't know if you're NFL football fans in the house today or any Rams fans, but Cooper Cup, uh, best receiver in the NFL this year, hands down, right? He was the MVP of the Super Bowl. He set all kinds of receiving records this year. After the Super Bowl, they asked him about his purpose and the way he's able to play. And he said this, he said, my purpose is Christ. He said, I just got to play free knowing that I got to play from victory, not for victory, he said. I got to play in a place where I was validated, not from anything that happened on the field, but because of my worth in God, in my Father. That's a guy that gets it. And so it's really cool when you see an athlete that understands this connection, and that applies to anything in your life. You know, you, you fill in the gap. It doesn't have to be sports. But if we understand that what we do, everything we do has to be subjected to Scripture, to what God says about it, and we can put those two together, that's powerful. And that's so cool, especially with sports for me, is to be able to combine those two together. Well, I guess we'll just kind of keep with the going down yep, the row right. here. Um, <laughs> couple things um, you said that you knew from the get-go, I want to be a coach. Well, from that moment in eighth grade when I was saved, when I started that relationship with Christ, I wanted to be in full-time ministry, and I really felt called to be a pastor. So much so that like, I actually interviewed pastors of local churches to find out which pastor would support me in this and disciple me in this, and I was like going hard after this thing. And then we get to college, and there's a lot of stories here. If you ever want to know them, I'll tell you. But basically... God just sort of said, you know, um, here's the deal. So every time I went somewhere and we would talk about pastoring, it became not because I wanted it to, but at that time, it became more about me being a woman than me being a follower of Christ. And nobody really wanted to hear my passion for Jesus at that point. They wanted to hear, why are you doing this? And what barriers are you breaking? And I finally just said, you know, no. Um, I'm a distraction from the main thing at this time. And God said to me, like, hey, I'm, you're going to do 
the things that you want to do. You're just not going to do it in the way that you thought you were going to do it. So long story short, those three things that I mentioned, the music, the ministry, and the clinical psychology, God brought them all together to allow me to do the things that were on my heart in terms of preaching and teaching and sharing and molding. Um, but he taught me some things and he showed me some hard things along the way. And one of the ones I want to share with you is really important because it applies not just to careers in psychology or even in, in church ministry, but to any career. Um, and one of the ways that my faith and especially the authority of Christ informed my career had to do with the timing of career choices. So we all have ideas like I want to be here when I'm this age and I want to do this and then I want to do that and I hope I get to do these things. And we have this sort of mental calendar of what we're going to do when. Well, early on in my career, I wanted to both be practicing and be teaching. In fact, I met Dr. Lamford teaching at Trinity College in Florida when I had um, tiny, tiny kids. All my kids were under five. In fact, Pierce wasn't even born yet. And um, I was trying to kind of do it all at the time. I was working at the counseling center, volunteering at a church, and I'm um, also teaching. And through all of this, I got an amazing opportunity. And the opportunity was to go and teach full-time at the Psychological Studies Institute in Atlanta. And it was like, if you had a dream job, whatever your dream job is, this job was all those things. And yet, as soon as I heard about it, I had this wrestling in my spirit about, is, is this the time? It, you know, do I need to walk away from this counseling center that you've called me to? Um, we're in this community. We want to raise our kids around their grandparents. Just all kinds of things are going through my mind. And I'm praying and I'm seeking scripture. And I am getting so, so confused. And finally, I'm driving out to Trinity College and I say to the Lord, just in exasperation, like, I don't ask for this very often, but like, I need a word. I, I, I don't just need a scripture or a song. I need you to tell me what I'm supposed to do because I don't want to screw this up. I don't want to screw up this family. I don't want to mess up my destiny as far as whatever my career is. So I flip on the radio and it's not tuned to a Christian station. It's tuned to NPR, which some would say is, is, is far away from a Christian station, although I do listen. Um, so I, uh, NPR, I turn it on. And at that very moment, a lady is speaking and she says, Sandra Day O'Connor was a stay-at-home mom. Margaret Thatcher was a stay-at-home mom. And it just goes to show you that you can have it all, but you can't have it all at the same time. And for those of you who aren't as old as I am, Margaret Thatcher was a prime minister of England and Sandra Day O'Connor was a Supreme Court justice. So for me, in that moment, God was just saying, lay it down, you know, lay down your preconceived ideas of how fast you need to be where and what you need to do when and do what I'm setting before you. And so I chose not to take that dream job, but to stay in Florida. And the next, you know, almost 20 years were just such a blessed time. And part of that was being able to be home with my kids and also work at a church, run a music studio out of the house. And just, I wouldn't miss, I wouldn't trade that for anything. And it doesn't just apply to ladies making the choice to be home or not. Guys may make the choice to stay home. My dad turned down a lot of promotions so he wouldn't have to travel. And I think that um, this timing of career and choices that we make is definitely been something that God's called me to in terms of, you know, really subjecting my career goals to his lordship and his timing. And I don't want to speak too long, but I am a clinical psychologist in case any of you guys are thinking out there. I got a couple of things um, just specific to the field. One is the opportunity to pray with each client and for each client. If you're in a non-Christian setting, you can't always do that. 
in the session, but it's like your secret weapon. I honestly don't know how people do counseling and therapy without the Holy Spirit because so many times God has nudged me to say, think about this, ask about that. And I wouldn't want to operate that without that in my life. So um, in terms of how my faith has impacted my field, just sort of bathing my work in prayer and um, you know, choosing what I practice because there are many modes of psychology, there are many approaches to counseling and not all of them are gonna mesh with a Christian worldview. Cognitive behavioral therapy worked for me and um, Steve Johnson also is kind of a fan, although he's more Ellis and I'm more Beck. Um, but it, it involves changing the way we think, and it, it goes with scripture. You know, 2 Corinthians 10.5 about taking thoughts care, uh, captive and making them obedient to Christ. So, you know, in my career, I tried to look for things that meshed with scripture, things that didn't contradict scripture. There are some techniques that I just won't do because I'm a Christian, and that has, like, hypnosis is one of those. Um, but mostly, you know, just subjecting the whole thing to his lordship to say it's your timing, you're gonna open doors for me, you're gonna tell me when to speak up and when to be silent. And I've worked in um, secular and Christian settings and he's always been faithful, um, you know, even when I, I can't speak freely, you know, to still bless that work. All right. Well, how, how has faith impacted, I, I looked at it in two ways, impacted my career choices and then how did I um, interact with my faith in, in my career? So I, I started out, uh, I told you when I, was, I started out young in, 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 in Christ, but one of the other things of, of my, my life, I started out watching Perry Mason, and you won't know what that is, some of you would know, um, with, with my mom. She loved it, and so I loved it, and I said I was going to be a lawyer, so that was my dream. I was going to be a lawyer, I was going to be an international lawyer, that was it, that was what I was going to do. And so um, went went to college. Um, but then I, I clearly, clearly heard from heard from God uh, to go into the military, and, and that was really a crazy thing, especially uh, for me at the time. My, most of my family was were not military oriented. I didn't really care that much about the military per se, but but God set things up for me um, that I, I ended up with a, a four year Air Force scholarship, and so it's like, oh, okay, maybe this military thing, what I heard from you is is what really you want me to do, and so. Um, going even into the military itself, um, how did I exercise my faith within there? And you, you can't uh, proselytize. You can't really be outspoken with it. But with um, knowing that we want to share the message of Christ, I always had a little cross in my in my office, and so. It, every time people would bring up things and I was able to share my faith through that. And so despite the authority of the military and you have to follow whoever, whatever organization God has blessed you to join, I was still able to share my faith and exercise my faith even following the rules of the military. And so it doesn't matter if, if God calls you to be a, a lineman or whatever he calls you to do, you can still exercise your faith under the authority of Christ and follow what, what God um, is calling you to do. So after, after, the, after the military, I was in the military actually 22 years. I thought um, that I was just going to do it for a little bit and get out and, didn't, and do um, international law. But every time God put different things in my path. Um, and for me, exercising my faith was always stepping out and not knowing. I would just get a glimpse of, of this. Okay, go this place. So I moved every two to three years. But the reliance of that... Jesus knew best for me 
and that I didn't know, and that if he tells me to step, even if I don't know exactly where I'm going, then you just have to go. And so fast forward, 22 years in the, in the military, I was in, in uh, Turkey, um, getting ready to go up for, for uh, promotion to colonel, um, thought everything was in line, and I woke up, I'm an early morning person, as some of you know if you're in my classes, I tell a little bit about this, four o'clock in the morning doing my devotional, and, and God says it's time. And I'm thinking it's time to do what? <laughs> you know, what, what's going on? But anyway, at the, long story short, it was, it was time to, to end that career. You were going, going to, to um, seminary, and you are going to do the intercultural stuff you thought internationally, but you're going to do missions. I didn't have a clue what missions was, even though I grew up in the church. But the, the whole idea, and I can tell you stories and stories, but the whole idea of that is exercising your faith in whatever God puts before you. It may be totally different from what you think God intends for you to do. But it's amazing how God works it out. I never thought I'd be at CIU. I never thought I'd be teaching. That just wasn't in my mindset. But following what he has for you to do is really the great exercise of your faith. It's not saying, oh, well, um, I'm, God will lead me and not planning. But it's really, as they say, it's not a cliche, holding it with open hands. And he will direct you if you just believe that he is in control and he has authority over your life. And he has that all orchestrated, even if you don't know. Yeah, so um, the authority of Christ over the profession of a pastor is hopefully a little bit obvious. Um, <laughs> particularly in terms of the authority of scripture. Um, unfortunately, as we maybe heard yesterday, and, and uh, it's, it's not always the case, but it should be the case that you trust the words you're preaching, right? Um, I will say I left, I left the ministry. I gave a few reasons. There were other reasons uh, why I left full-time pastoral ministry. Um, and I'd say a lot of people who are here are considering ministry in some way. Uh, ministry can be very isolating. It can be very lonely. Uh, the sheep can bite, and the shepherds can go the wrong direction. Um, and the shepherds can hit with their crook um, in ways that hurt the sheep. Uh, and so I've experienced all of that. I've been the ones to make, uh, to, to sin and make mistakes as a pastor. I've been the one to be bitten by the sheep. Um, and in those moments, particularly in those moments when you're, you're, you're all convinced, and that's not just for being a pastor, you're convinced this is where the Lord has you. Why is it so hard? Why is it so painful? Why is it so difficult? Why am I sitting here at 12 o'clock at night unable to sleep because I've just been chewed out and torn down um, for an honest mistake or for a real sin or for no reason at all. Um, and no matter where you're called to go, you'll experience that because we live in a, in a, in a pretty sucky, sinful world at times. Um, and that's where you really have to say, I'm going to trust the Lord that he has placed me here. Um, and it's helpful if you can kind of trace back and keep a record. I don't myself, but keeping a journal of how the Lord has has demonstrated where you're meant to be can be really, really helpful in those dark moments when the clouds are over and you can't really see out of things. Um, last year, uh, when I just was kind of finishing up my, my doctorate, those of you who had my classes last semester, you'll know I talked a little bit of this in class, but we had about five different dominoes that had to fall in place at the right time in order for us to kind of figure out <laughs> what was going to happen the next year, this year. Uh, so we had to get, I had to pass my doctoral at, uh, viva, the, uh, the oral defense, 
Um, we had to get an interview for immigration to, so that I could stay in the country, um, which was obviously a big deal for, just for a newly married couple. Um, we had to get an interview at CIU for the position, if I was going to get the position or not. We had to get um, our stuff, our house in Pennsylvania sold. We had to get a place down here to live. And I would have loved all of those things to have happened in the space of a week. And then I would know and say, this is what's happening. But over the course of four months, God just tipped over one domino at a time. Very, very slowly, very, very methodically, very, very purposefully. But it wasn't immediate, but it was clear. Uh, and as the dominoes began falling, it became clear, okay, this is where the Lord has called us to be. It's where we're meant to be. And it's not how I'd have chosen or wrote the story four months, ten months, a year and, and, and previously. But he made it clear. Um, and it's awesome to be where you know the Lord has called you. It's not always easy, but it is good to know that that's where you're meant to be. And it's oftentimes you'll find you'll experience difficulties, and that's where it's just important to know the Lord has called you to whatever it is, and he has, if he's called you there, he will not leave you without his strength to, to persevere. And when the time is right and the Lord says it's time to move on elsewhere, don't try and stay, because you'll only find you'll make things worse. Uh, and so I found that, I mean, I, I, I've experienced hardship, heartache, joys, celebrations, and I'm sure that for the rest of my life that will continue. Uh, and so my advice to you is try your best to listen to the movement of the Spirit. He is clear, but he also works through the mouth of his people. And this is where being part of a church is so helpful. Being able to sit down and talk with people who are older than you, who've walked the journey that you're maybe just starting out on, and one of the things I love saying when I go to a church is I love the oldies because when you get to a certain age, you, uh, you begin to care a lot less what people think about you and what you say. And I have had old people sit me down and in their very direct manner tell me I'm being a moron. <laughs> and they were right. They could have worded it maybe slightly nicer, but I've got Irish skin so it was fine. Um, but they were able to help. And... They knew what they were saying because they'd lived out the experience, and maybe in different ways, but they knew what to say. So don't shun the church. Don't shun the older people or the people who are different from you in church. Embrace those relationships because as we talked about, as I talked about yesterday, that they're part of the legacy of church history that can teach you just as someday you'll be that old person being direct and rude and not knowing you're being offensive, but the, but the people you're talking to will be glad for it. I think to piggyback on that, the exercising of my faith, um, first and foremost, is recognizing that what we get to do uh, is not a job, but it's a calling. Um, for those of you that are in the teaching profession, that are in our program, uh, you're figuring out, or you will, it's really hard. It's time consuming. Uh, there are many days and nights of work uh, that demand our time and our energies. Um, to speak to my colleagues, there are times within our profession of higher ed where I go home and think, Lord, is this worth what we are doing, the amount of time and energies that we put in? But what sustains us beyond that is to recognize who we get to do this for. And do we get to exercise that every single day, not just with the children that I get to teach or the college students now, um, but that I get to model who Christ was for us. I think in, in the growing of my faith and the understanding of Scripture, what started to sustain me within teaching was to recognize the model of who Christ was 
and that he was first and foremost, he was a really great teacher. And I wanted to be that kind of teacher after him, which means that the exercising of my faith for, for within my profession and what I get to do, uh, I would probably center it on three things. Uh, one is prayer. And I know that's an easy answer that we can give to all things, but to truly have the opportunity to partner with others in prayer. Prayer for the students that our students get to go and to minister through in their practicum work and their student teaching and, and the experiences of going teaching Bible within our classes. Um, the opportunity to get to pray for you guys, to have lunch with you guys, to sit in an office and plan things and to really pray over those things. Um, is the exercising of faith. And number two is experience. What's great about teaching and what makes it so challenging and fun is that it's always different every single time. There's curriculum, there's methods that we practice and that we do, but I never know what it's going to be for the new group of students that God gives me within my care in teaching college and then again uh, in teaching whatever discipline of education. And so prayer, experience, and then lastly is relationship. I exercise my faith through what I know the giftedness God has given to me. If you're close to me, if you're in my classes, hopefully it's expressed as not just a, a love and joy for teaching, but it's that exhortation, it's the encouragement that I want to provide. But I don't think that giftedness just came from the Holy Spirit, it came from the exercising of faith that other people had in my life. Every single one of us in some way already has expressed that, that person that you had in your life. Like for me, it was my mom. My mom was a ninth grade English teacher. And I think back as to like, you know, where, Lord, where did this all start? This, this love, this desire, I know it came from you, but it came from a caring mother that loved me and that would sit with me as an educator at home and minister and teach to me. Um, when I was in about to begin my master's, I wanted to switch degrees. I wanted to get out of teaching. Because I was like, I just don't know if this is not so much what I'm supposed to do, but there was things going on within the profession that I was, was just caused fear within my life. And I went to go and I was going to go into business. And I met with an advisor two times and he said, before you sign this paper, I want you to meet Sam Bennett, who is the dean of the College of Ed at Southeastern University. And I went and I sat in his office and not kind of the talk you off the ledge, but just helped me to see the calling that I had to be an educator. And I'm thankful even now, and this, I think, kind of the, the lesson that I would share in this exercising of faith is that faith just doesn't end when you know what you're doing, what you should do. It's the everyday moments of growing and maturing through the interactions with you guys, with colleagues, with teachers, with anyone within the field. It's, it's the blended nature of what we get to do in recognizing that we get to be in this place and to serve a great God who exercises himself through us every single day in all that we get to say and do. Oh, thank you each for that. And I think it's such an encouragement to hear that because you know, sometimes we might think, well, if, I'm, if I've got the right target in mind, I'm heading the right direction, things will be easy. But there are those challenges there. And if the aim is, I want to be the best I can in this discipline, in this field, for the sake of being the best in this field, um, in the end, it comes up empty. But we have this opportunity as followers of Christ to be able to live that out. And that's where things get really exciting. Not easy all the time, but really exciting as well. And it's neat to see how that, that takes shape in, in a lot of different areas. Um, I'm going to actually kind of combine the next two into one, one question together, if that's all right um, here. Um, 
as you look at the different, um, you know, the different you know, kind of aspects of your field, what are some of the challenges that Christians face going into that? Um, so what are some kind of the tricky areas that, that Christians have to navigate? Um, and then in your role as an educator, how do you prepare students to face those kind of challenges? We're going in order still. Um, I think one of the greatest challenges and opportunities that we face in, in sports in particular is that doing it the right way, what I would say the right way, God's way, however you want to say that, is so countercultural to what our, what our culture would say is, it is, and that'd be like winning. It's all about winning. It's all about winning at all costs. It's all about me. Uh, and it can even be countercultural to even what in our, our cultural uh, Christianity uh, would say about that, um, where you know many people would kind of worship recreation over worshiping God. And they might put sports kind of at the altar and then kind of fill in this other space with God instead of putting God on the altar, making him first, and then allowing sports to, to be subjected to that. And so that's a huge challenge, but it's also a great opportunity. And so when you see someone who's able to do that, it's so refreshing and it has such an impact. And so um, that's one of the challenges. And then the second part was... Yeah, so how do you equip students to... How do, how do we yeah. equip students? Yeah, I think in our classes, I love to have conversations about current events, what's going on in culture. So every day something happens, right? If you watch ESPN or Sports Center every night, there's something that you could see that you could talk about. And so we try to bring those things to our, to our students, talk about them through a biblical lens. Um, what does the Bible, ultimately, what does the Bible say about this? And that's a fun conversation uh, to have. So in sport ethics or in leadership or an intro or whatever we're teaching, just bringing those real life examples and then talking about them and uh, what does God say about it? And there's a lot of great discussion that happens as a result of that and we can learn through that. Well, when I think about challenges in the field of psychology and counseling, it's kind of this double-edged sword because not only can what I'm about to talk about sort of get us some flack from the culture at large, it can also get a lot of pushback from other Christians. So sometimes being in that counselor's seat, in that seat of the professional counselor, the licensed psychologist, the social worker, can be pretty uncomfortable, and, and here's one of the reasons. We are all in the counseling professions bound by an ethical standard that says we are not to impose our own values on our clients. We are not to interject our biases into our counseling sessions. And if we are biased in some way, which many would say being a Christian causes me to be biased in some way, we're to share that with our clients. And that can sound really secular and in some ways really bad to our Christian ears. Um, but I want to tell you a couple things about it. Um, one, uh, people don't respond really well when you try to tell them what to think and believe and feel. And I think all of you that are in ministry and in other settings know that. Um, and two, when we respect other people's values, um, many times as we go through the weeks and the months of that relationship and counseling, they will open up and give us an opportunity to share things with them that initially they wouldn't have been open to. So if you're working in a secular setting, you don't have a lot of opportunity to share your faith, um, but you can 
Um, as I said, pray for people. You can make people aware that you are a Christian, and if they initiate the conversation, many times, even in a secular agency, you will be free to share at least something of what you're going through or what you believe. Um, and then if you're in a Christian setting, respecting someone and saying, hey, we're going to include scripture and faith in your counseling sessions as much or as little as you currently include it in your daily life lets them know that you're not there to judge them, to you know push them, uh, but you're there to listen and to really help them solve the problems that they came to you with. And, and it's, a, it's a tough line to walk, and I don't expect that everybody's going to understand or agree with that, but if you hold a license in social work, in psychology, in professional counseling, you are bound to uphold this ethical standard. And so it's something that each of us has to pray through and figure out how will I navigate this. And for me, it has been to kind of assure people that we're going to include their faith as much as they do in their daily life. And sometimes I don't get many opportunities to do more than that. But many times if I see somebody for a while, they will open up and they'll say like, so, you know, what does scripture say about this? Or they'll give me some of those entrees. And if I'm working with a Christian and they lay it out like, you know, Jesus is my main thing and I am trying to live my life as a follower of Christ, then, you know, the cuffs are off and we just go for it. Um, but another, um, another piece of that is uh, a difficulty in the fact that we are not preachers. We're not pastors. I like to joke with my pastoral friends that like, yeah, y'all get to drop the truth bomb on Sunday morning and then I got to deal with the shrapnel all, all week long. People come in and they're like, geez, what do I do? How do I apply this? Um, so in counseling, we wrestle. We have to wrestle and, and figure out how do you apply some of the harder truths of scripture to your own personal life. And I won't say that that's easy. That's where that prayer piece comes in. That's where being well-versed not only in the techniques of counseling, but also in the scriptures comes in um, because we do some of that hard work of, of personal application with people. Um, and then, you know, a tough piece as we kind of bridge into education is that in order to be sort of articulate and intelligent in the field of psychology, you have to be versed in things that you don't find particularly uplifting sometimes, um, that you don't agree with, that don't fit with your worldview. But if you just put the blinders on and you don't learn what's out there in the larger field, it's hard to have good, challenging, intellectual conversations with people that God may be calling you to influence, with your coworkers, your supervisors. Um, we're going to the Southeastern Psychological Association meeting in a few weeks. I have to be able to speak the language in order to form the kind of relationships that allow me to influence others. So in education, when you come to psych class, sometimes um, people will say, well, why aren't we using the Christian book? Well, First of all, a lot of times there isn't a Christian book for all of what we teach in psychology, but other times it's because we need to know the depth and the breadth of what's out there and then look at it through the lens of scripture. We don't have to embrace it all. We don't have to make it all part of our professional worldview, but we have to sort through it. So there's that. I try to kind of let people see the good, the bad, and the ugly in the discipline. And then I guess in order to sort of shorten this a bit, my big deal in education and in class is I don't like opinions. I'll ask you your opinion, but I want your informed opinion. The whole, I feel this, or I believe this, or this shouldn't be happening, well, why? Do you have scripture for that? Do you have facts from the big world for that? So I guess my push and my press is that all of us 
if we're going to have an opinion on an issue or a technique or something related to any of our fields, it should be informed by scripture and you know, submitted to the authority of Christ. Now it's okay to be honest, like I feel this, I wish this wasn't this way, I want to see this be different. And I'm not saying I don't encourage people to share that, but ultimately when you walk out of here, I hope that you can articulate your personal theology of counseling or psychology or sports management or whatever it is so that you know how you're going to walk that out. And that starts by us pressing a bit and saying, you know, my opinion's not good enough. I got to support that with something. And so do you. Um, missions. Um, challenges to your faith. One, um, well, I'll, I'll mention two. Um, Taking care of your family and supporting your family. Um, the financial piece. And as, a, as a Christian, we're all called to, to share the gospel, but if, if you're called to be a missionary and that is going to be your full-time ministry, that's going to be your life. How do you navigate that? How do you have the faith to navigate that in the big world where people are saying, how are you going to take care of your family? How are you going to do these things? Uh, when support raising may not be a, a, a something that's common to you and is, is not easy to do, to ask people to support you as the, as the church to support your family or support you as a single. That, that is a challenge, and it takes um, extreme faith to step out. I can tell you in just a, a little bit, and I know we, we're uh, short for time, but I went from, um, our family went from uh, being... Um, in pretty good shape, no, nowhere near as rich, but able, comfortable is the best, best term, um, to me accepting my call into missions and not knowing how we're going to pay our bills, uh, using up all of my 401k and all of that. So I'm just telling you to be real, you know, to just being real with you. So that challenge of carrying out what you believe God is telling you to do when it impacts you financially? How do you navigate that support raising and supporting your family? So that's a challenge in missions that sometimes people overlook and say, oh, you have faith and you just step out. But that's a reality that you have to consider knowing that God will take care of you, that God, if God is telling you to do it, you will have the things that you need and then some, but you have to face that and you have to have the faith to step out knowing that it's going to be a challenge. Uh, the second thing is the idea of success. Because in, in missions, quite often, you'll go years and years in an area, you'll go years and years in an organization trying to reach the loss. And there won't be numbers for you to say, like in, in the local churches, we baptized 20 during this year. You may not have anybody come to faith for 10 years that you're in an area. But how do you then have faith to know that this is where God put me and I'm doing what God wants me to do and therefore stay? So those are challenges to your faith when, when you're in missions. Um, how do I try to, to help students to, to face that when we're, um, when we're in classes and we're preparing for, um, for people who want to be in missions? It's the idea of knowing who you are what your strengths are, and in knowing truly that your calling is to missions and that that's what God wants you to do, and then 
being the best at whatever passion God has given you, being the best at that. So strengthening yourself to be able to withstand all of the things that are going to happen in missions. It's an amazing, amazing thing to be called to be a missionary. So don't, take, don't get me wrong by that, but I'm saying that you have to prepare. In, in the Air Force, they said flexibility is the key to air power. And so what, what I took on um, when I became, uh, started being a, a missionary is flexibility is the key to missions. You have to be flexible. You have to rely on the Holy Spirit and trust that you know that you know that God is in control and he'll take care of you. Yeah, I just want to say on behalf of the missionaries in the room who may not have the, considered the freedom to say it, most of the people in here aren't going to be very rich, um, but maybe one or two of you will be, and you'll be pressed to establish a new foundation. And I would strongly encourage you, find the missionaries who are already there. Don't go and create something that's yours. Get involved in something that's not yours that you can support with your wealth. Uh, the missionaries already, already on the field are doing phenomenal work that need your support rather than needing another organization to compete for the pool of resources that's already out there. So just think about that. Um, and if you are one of the rich people, I, history's desperately in need of your money. Um, so by so all is means, education. All contact me, that'd be great. Uh, um, I would say that in terms of being an historian, I spend my life looking at texts. Uh, I spend my life analyzing authors, analyzing how um, we can and can't trust the authors. And I would say that our culture today is illiterate uh, when it comes to texts. Um, if you've taken my classes, particularly my undergrad classes, you'll know that I challenge you with gobbets and you all hate them with a passion. But the whole point of a gobbet is to get a text, take it out of its context, and, I, and to analyze it where it's at. And the point is because it's trying to help us see that we come to every text, every video, every tweet with our own perspective, with our own system of analysis, our own system of interpretation, and 90% of the time, that's wrong. Um, so there's humbling stats for you. Um, but what, we're, what I'm trying to get you to do is to see how do we actually analyze a text and understand what is actually being said. So to give you an example, um, we all know what hap what's happening in Eastern Europe right now. Uh, and one of the things that's come out is that both sides are tweeting and retweeting videos that have been proven to be not from this conflict. And they're doing it because they're trying to garner up support for their own perspectives. And because it's a video, it's really hard for us to kind of go in and say, okay, well, the language isn't right, the dating isn't right, all that kind of stuff, because it's hard. We don't have all the technical skill. And uh, now you, you magnify that in an, as an historian or as an educator or as a psychologist uh, or as a theologian and pastor, you're, you're, you're going to have incorrect interpretations. And so we, we have to have knowledge in so many fields as an historian, as a pastor in our generation. If you're going to be a pastor, you're going to have to have a conversation with someone about the age of the earth in the morning, about uh, where we go after we die in the afternoon and whether or not this person's right for me in the, in the evening. Um, and you got to jump from one field of knowledge to another really quickly with little time for breakfast, lunch, or dinner. Um, and so you, you're going to have to figure out to know what you don't know. Uh, and that's a big, difficult lesson for our American culture. We like to think that by having access to Google, we know all things all the time, uh, invariably and indefinitely. Um, and that's really ultimately where... Um, the, the knowledge and the authority of Scripture comes into play because you won't know all the answers and you'll have incorrect interpretations of Scripture that you'll have to be corrected on at some future point in your ministry. 
Uh, and so allowing yourself the humility of saying, actually, you know, I don't know the answer to this. I can look into it for you. Um, or I'm not skilled enough. I don't have the scientific skill set to go in and, and analyze this architectural or archaeological to determine the age of the earth. I don't know those things. What I can tell you is that in Scripture, God says this. And it may not be the scientific or precise answer you're looking for or that I'm looking for, but that's okay. God has not given us the answer to every single conundrum in the world. He's given us what is sufficient for us to need to know about who he is, what he's done for us, and what's going to happen in the future. Not a timeline for the end, but definitively that in the end God wins. Uh, and that is sufficient. So I would say that as, as an historian, the hardships and the difficulties, or as a theologian, somebody analyzes texts and works with, with literature, the difficulty is in our world today, the author's opinion is really irrelevant. The idea of the authorial intent matters little because it's what, how I feel, how I feel about this text. And, and Dr. Whittaker's mentioned this already, how I feel is kind of what is the most important thing in our culture. And that's really nonsense. As I always say, you, can dis you cannot believe in gravity, you're still going to go splat when you jump off the building. Uh, so what you believe is irrelevant unless what you believe is true. Uh, and that's ultimately then where you have to make your conviction. I'm going to stand on this and I won't have all the answers and I won't necessarily know how it works. But I know that the God of all wisdom has said this, and that makes it true. Now, my interpretation could be wrong. If you've taken my world history class, you'll know that the church for the longest time believed the earth was the center of the universe, and we were wrong. Scripture didn't say that, but we thought it did. Scripture wasn't wrong. Our interpretation was wrong. So keeping ourselves humble is absolutely one of the most central keys in history and theology. Where to start in education? The challenges we face. Uh, if you've never sat with a disgruntled parent, upset over their child's grades, <laughs> arms folded, hat down, heavy breathing, ready to take you behind the building and beat you down. Had that before. Had a kid throw uh, a lighter in a trash can once, kindergartner, in the bathroom. Not awesome. It was terrible. <laughs> Where are you going with that? This is awesome. <laughs> That's why you're not in education. That's okay. <laughs> um, so there's, there's those surface challenges, right? And then I think there's the challenges that we all think about within education, the, the topical things. When, when I started teaching evolution was like the big discussion of like, well, what are Christian educators going to do in teaching about evolution? Uh, today, critical race theory, uh, gender identity. I just taught this last fall in our management course on sexual orientation and gender identity. If you would have told me in my undergrad or master's or even PhD, one day you'll have to teach on these things, I don't know if that would have been, oh, I would love to go do that. <laughs> and I remember in the fall not wanting to teach on these things because I thought, Lord, this is just, just is so outside of really my discipline, my understanding. Um, and I think that that leads us really to the, the obvious truth, which is the answer to that, is that we have to keep truth, truth. Like for us as educators, we are called to love, we are called to show compassion and build relationship, but when it comes down to it, truth is truth. I don't want to compromise on my truth. Do I have to teach certain things that I disagree with? If my standards say it, if my state requires it, then I teach it. But I model through my character and my words what I know is truth. 
And what's great is I think every opportunity I've ever had in teaching in those moments of where I feel as though I might be compromising on something and having to teach it, God does the counter and he gives opportunity through a student question or a home visit or a parent coming up and saying, hey, my child talked about how you had to teach this and and I just, you know, I've been confused about it. Can you sit and talk? He gives ministry opportunities when we are obedient in truth. And so I think that is one of the ways that we best teach our students here is to, to rely on truth, to make truth the foundation of what we do. It's not just, and, and I'm not harping against this because I do the same in the busyness of what we do. It's not just about starting the class with a prayer or reading the devotion or reading the scripture, but it's about immersing ourselves in biblical integration and making a part of every single thing that we do. Again, going back to that word of foundation, it's the foundation of what we do, and all other things are built upon that. So I think that's a great challenge that we face in teaching, but for every challenge, remember, is also an opportunity. We shouldn't look at challenges as, well, I I just don't want to do that. I've done the cost. I've done like the T-chart, the analysis of pros and cons, and, and we do that all the time. Maybe we do that to make those decisions, but don't forget the challenge leads to opportunity. For me, teaching would be boring if it was just opportunity. I love the challenge that comes in teaching because I know what it leads to. I think the greater challenge though for us in education, our profession, uh, is longevity and balance. Um, We have seen this in the last couple years, especially with the onset of COVID and uh, virtual education, teachers just leaving in droves because it is not what they signed up for. And I know the reality of that, but it's a great challenge to say we're losing great teachers uh, through that practice. We have to learn how to balance our lives. Um, I love the opportunity that you get to come as I didn't get to go to a Christian university until my master's. And then I remember coming here in my PhD uh, as an adult. And I remember I would go home and tell my wife, I'd say, all of my classes, they're all about Christ. Like I signed up for this curriculum instruction course uh, with Dr. Lindsay, and it's all about Christ. And it was almost as though I felt like being tricked in a way that I, I thought I'm learning all this methodology, which I am, but I'm learning it through the lens of Scripture. Our motto is to what? Is to make, to know Him, and to make Him known. And like a good sermon, what a pastor may say, if you get one thing today, let it be that you know Him. Don't miss the opportunity while you're here in this campus and your individual programs. Learn all that you can to be the best that you can be in whatever profession God has called you to, but make sure you know him. You know him. You have a lifetime to make him known, but know him because that, for my profession, for all of us, it is what sustains us through our work is that I, first and foremost, I know him. (laughs) The worst day teaching. I want to quit. That parent, that student that just rolled on the ground and started screaming and crying. But I know him. And so I know that I'm called to make him known. So I have to have that longevity and, again, balance in what I do. Cool. 
Well, thank you all for that. Um, and I think it's, it's such a neat thing as we look at the, all the opportunities that we have in the body of Christ in so many different areas. And you know, I'm set up here as the Bible faculty. And the cool thing about my job is I get to work with everybody. Um, and so it's not just students that are thinking about, hey, I want to go and do a PhD in New Testament, which I hope there are students that want to go and, and you know, head, head into um, academic study and, and wrestle with these, these kinds of things of history and theology and things like that. Um, but it's so cool that um, scripture is for all of of us, Christ is for all of us, and God deploys us in so many different fields for the sake of his kingdom. And I, in all honesty, I probably could have asked the entire faculty up here to share today. Um, and, and this is the kind of thing, you probably heard some, some things if, you know, in these different disciplines that, um, like, wow, I'd like to know more about that. Um, but that uh, conversation um, with your faculty, if not in one of these fields and other fields, um, if you talk to your faculty me uh, mentor um, in the, you know, the field that you're going into and say, I want to love Jesus through what I do, help me to do that. Um, we are very excited <laughs> to do that, to have that conversation, to help encourage you um, that way as you live out your faith in all the different giftedness um, that is present here on this campus. And so, um, we actually, I know the schedule says 2.30, um, and I'm going to do, I know that all of us as, uh, as faculty know that you students love, and we said we're going to end a little bit early officially, so are you guys okay with that? So, I, absolutely, no. Um, but I want to just encourage you um, here this afternoon, uh, maybe grab a friend, um, spend a few minutes and pray for each other. Um, we've talked all about a lot of different aspects of the authority of Christ, um, both universally, eschatologically, historically, personally, vocationally. Um, pray for each other in that um, and encourage each other uh, that way. And, um, and as we look for these opportunities that we have, um, Christ is with us, his spirit is with us. Um, let me go ahead and, and um, close in prayer, and then we'll, we'll say thanks to our faculty panel up here. So Father, we thank you for this time today. Um, God, may you be magnified in each of our lives. I thank you for the opportunity that you've given us um, to live out um, this relationship with you in so many different fields, um, to be able to make an impact um, and we recognize it takes wisdom and discernment for what that looks like. Um, and I thank you for the way that you use the body of Christ to help, um, help us to equip each other for that. And uh, Father, I thank you for the students that are here now. Um, as faculty, we just are, are so grateful for our student body. And uh, Father, I just pray that you would prepare them for what you have for them in their lives, guide and direct their steps, whether in the classroom, in the residence halls, in the churches, and summer opportunities, internships, the, all these different areas. Um, Father, uh, we just thank you for that, that opportunity as we look um, to our lives and um, being able to walk in that relationship with you. And uh, we just thank you for this time today. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen. All right, I want to say thank you to our faculty panel up here. We hope you found this message a blessing to your life. More Columbia International University Chapel messages are available at iTunes and at podcast.ciu.edu. Learn more about CIU's undergraduate, seminary, and graduate programs at our website, ciu.edu. Columbia International University educates people from a biblical worldview to impact the nations with the message of Christ. Thank you for the opportunity to minister to you today.